The following audio is from Shiloh Presbyterian Church in Raleigh, North Carolina. More information about Shiloh Presbyterian Church is available at shilohopc.org. If you remain uh, standing and turn your Bibles to our sermon text this morning, found in the book of Hebrews, chapter 12, page 1008, if you're using the Pew Bible in front of you. We'll be looking at just the two first two verses, Hebrews chapter 12 and verses 1 and 2. Let's listen carefully and worship the Lord by giving good attention to the reading and preaching of his word this morning. Hebrews chapter 12. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Amen. That's far the reading of God's word. Let's look, seek the Lord in prayer. Let's pray. Lord, as your word is open before us this morning, we pray that you would come to us and by your spirit, open up our hearts that we might receive your truth, O God. Grant this morning that we might behold our glorious Lord and our Savior and that we might uh, embrace him afresh surrendering our lives to him, O Lord, that we might go from this place, trusting you, walking in obedience to that which you will teach us this day, Lord God, in this way, that we might worship and serve you with all of our lives. To that and come to us, we pray, and bless us. We ask for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Obviously, we're taking a one week or another break uh, from our sermon series through Matthew and considering this text at the end of the year here. I don't know how many of us here this morning have ever actually run in a race. Perhaps for some of you, that's not something, not something you've ever done or have any interest in ever doing. And of course, that's perfectly fine if that's the case. Some of you are perhaps like me. Running races is something that you once did many, many moons ago i will say it's 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 quite an intense experience you know there you are you're you're lined up on the starting line with all of the other runners waiting for the race to start and you're thinking to yourself this is it right all of my all of my hard work all of my training all those miles of running is all for what i'm about to do right now and you you hear the sound of the gun go off and off you go and depending on the length of the race and how fast you happen to be for the next however many minutes nothing else in the world matters except for that race like all of your physical all of your psychological strength Everything you have is concentrated on only one thing, run, keep running, running until you finish that race and cross over the finish line. If you're familiar with the book of Hebrews, uh, you know that it was written to those who were tempted to stop running the race. The, the, the uh, 
Christians to whom it was uh, written were, were likely uh, all Jewish Christians, Hebrew Christians, and they were beginning to face persecution for their faith in Christ. We may recall how the, some of those early Jewish Christians, they continued worshiping in the synagogue on Saturday and also worshiping with the church on Sunday. Well, it got to a place where they were being confronted with a choice. The rabbis were not so happy about allowing that anymore. So in a sense, and even rightly, the, 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 the leadership in the church. So they were confronted with the choice. Which will it be? Will it be Christ or will it be Judaism? Will it be the church or will it be the synagogue? And so they were tempted with the prospect of abandoning their faith in Christ, going back to Judaism, leave the church, and just go back to the synagogue. And so the writer used this racing metaphor as a, as a means of calling them to persevere. And this is a call that comes to every one of us here who names the name of Christ this morning. I thought as we come to a conclu- the conclusion of the year, this is such an important message on which to meditate together. This morning, it really doesn't matter whether you've ever actually gone out and run in a race, right? It doesn't matter this uh, whether that experience I described is one which is familiar to you or not, whether you are old or young, whether you are, you know, trim and fit or not so much, if you are a Christian, you are a runner called to run in this race. And so the command this morning, the call of Christ comes to you, let us run, run, Our message this morning is simply this, brothers and sisters, let us run the race that God has set before us. And as we look at this passage and consider that message, I want us simply to consider three things about ourselves as runners in this race, really kind of three things about the way in which we're to run, the manner in which God calls us to run the race of faith. We will note that we are to run as those who are motivated And then secondly, we are to run unhindered. And then lastly, we are called to run with endurance. So consider first our motivation. We are to run as those who are motivated. What is it that motivates you to run the race of faith, dear Christians? What motivates you? I suppose there are many possible answers to that, many good and right answers. Answers. I'm wanting us to think about the answer that we find in verse 1 of our text. We see those words, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. You see that? We are, we, we were to be motivated by the so great a cloud of witnesses that are surrounding us. Now, this looks back to chapter 11, to all of the, the saints who have gone before us, particularly all those men- mentioned there in the chapter, those who have, have finished their lives. They, they ran the race, and they've now entered into the presence of Christ. They're now surrounding us, we're told, as a cloud of witnesses. And I think there are two ways in which we can conceive of these ones acting as witnesses. I agree with those who, who would say both are in view here. These two ways are not mutually exclusive. For one thing, they are witnesses in the sense that they are watching us run. 
And so some of you youth who are uh, playing on sports teams, you know, maybe you're competing on the basketball court or out on the baseball field. You think of your, your families, brothers and sisters, mom and dad, all there watching you, sometimes even yelling out and saying silly things and embarrassing you. They're surrounded you. Well, so it is with, uh, with these, this cloud of witnesses, not, not the part about saying silly things, but, but the saints who've gone before us. Sort of an amazing thought to think that there they are watching us, uh, witnessing our performance, as it were, cheering us on in the race. So in that sense, they are witnesses. But there's another way, an even more important way, I think, in view here. In the case of these uh, Hebrews 11 saints, uh, Hebrews 11 saints, they're not simply watching and cheering, but they're telling us something. They are testifying of something. Of course, by God's grace, these ones mentioned their testimony, their lives are, are part of the great testimony of sacred scripture. They bear witness of something. If you look at, at the text, uh, look at chapter 11 across the page, I think you can see this particularly in verse 13, if you look at the, the, the end of the verse there, how it says that, that these ones acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. And then verse 14, for people who speak thus, make it clear. You see that they're speaking something. They're bearing witness with a clear testimony. It says they, are, they, 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 they make it clear that they are seeking a homeland, verse 15. If they'd been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return, verse 16. But as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. So they're speaking to us. They're sending us a clear message. What is the message which they are speaking? Well, in a sense, we can say simply, the message is simply this. Keep running. Keep running because it is well worth it. What is it that motivated them? What is it that they were looking to? What is it that awaits the people of God? A better country, we're told. A heavenly one. A city whose builder and maker is God. A mountain land above. A place so great, so glorious, that it's well worth doing anything that God asks, calls you to do in this race of faith to which he has called you. In fact, if you look down at verses 35 uh, to the end of the chapter there, you see all of the ways in which the saints of old were called to suffer. We read in verse 35 about those who were tortured. Verse 36, others suffered mocking and flogging, chains, imprisonment. Verse 37 uh, describes those ones who were stoned and sawn in two, killed with the sword. It says that they went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated. Then at the end of verse 38, it says they want, they went about wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. What motivated them to do all that? Well, they were looking forward to heaven. Their, their, their lives were oriented towards the attainment of their eternal home and glory. And that motivated them to run and to keep running, to run, not looking back. Dear Christian, are you running? Are you running the race? What is it that motivates you to run this race? I wonder if uh, 
some of us here coming to the end of the year if we've had occasion to think about New Year's resolutions, right? That's that time again. I was thinking about this. I, I Googled what are the top New Year's resolutions for 2024, and according to the to Forbes of people polled, the top answer was 48% improved fitness. Start running, I guess, right? Improved fitness. Next was improved finances. That was 38%. Next was improved mental health, 36%. Obviously, people gave multiple answers. These aren't adding up. But the next two were lose weight, 34%, and improved diet, 32%. Of course, for Christians, all of those things are perfectly okay things. Those would be fine resolutions for us to make. We are called to be good stewards of our bodies as well as our minds and certainly of our our finances. If you're taking steps in these ways or other ways to be looking to improve your lives with the beginning of a new year, that's fine. That's good. But as we seek to improve our lives, whether it be in the new year or any time at all, we do well to ask ourselves the question, why? Why are we doing these things? As those who are in Christ, what is my reason? What is my motivation for making these kinds of changes? You know, you may, you may share New Year's resolutions in common with your unbelieving neighbors, but ultimately you have a completely different goal, a completely different motivation uh, than those who, who do, don't know the Lord, those who aren't living their lives in the hope of heaven. You and I are called by Christ unto a heavenward calling. And of course, we're reminded that the passing of a new year brings us one year closer to our goal, to the the attainment of that for which we hope. Remember those words of, of Paul in Romans chapter 13, verse 11. Our salvation is nearer now, nearer to us now than when we first believed. Indeed, we've been, we've been nearer than were the saints of old who ran this race. We are nearer, nearer than they were during any part of their earthly pilgrimage. And so, brothers and sisters, we have all the reason to listen and to listen well to their testimony. They, they serve as witnesses to us testifying, run, run, keep running. It's so well worth it. And how do we know that their testimony is true? Well, our text tells us we receive their testimony in the light of him who is the fulfillment of all that for which they hoped, verse 2, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. They all ran the race of faith only because of him. He's the great man of faith. Jesus is the great man of faith, right? He's not the man of faith in the sense of being a sinner who had to look to God to, to forgive him for his sins through faith, but he exercised faith in the sense of looking forward. With the eyes of faith, he, he looked beyond his suffering. He looked forward to the prize. What was it that motivated to Jesus to run that race, to continue on his path all the way to the cross? Verse 2 tells us, it was the joy that was set before him. Just think on that this morning. The joy of Christ, that joy that was set before him. Christ's eternal enthronement and glory at the right hand 
of the Father, his reign over you, dear Christian, in his heavenly kingdom forever and ever. I don't know how much the saints of old really understand, but but what they were looking forward to, they were looking to Christ. They were looking to his glory. They were looking to Jesus' joy, his kingdom, and that's what motivated them to run. And certainly the same must be true for you and for me. The joy of Christ, his eternal glory, let that be what motivates you dear Christian, in the new year to press on, to press on in the race of faith. And then to rid yourself of anything hindering you from running. That's our second point this morning about the manner in which we're to run. We are to run unhindered. Look at verse one, the second part. Let us also lay aside every every weight and sin which clings so closely. Obviously, if you were going to go out and compete in a race, you wouldn't put on a a lot of clothing, right? A long tunic to trip you up, you know, weigh yourself down with with heavy heavy jewelry. Where I uh, grew up in in San Diego, there was a popular hiking place called Cowles Mountain. They called it a mountain. It was more of a big hill. It was about 1,600 feet up to the summit. Very popular. People would go up there, had a beautiful view of all of the city. And my parents used to hike that almost every day as a, a, a... uh, just a means of regular exercise. And sometimes I would go out hiking with them. Well, one time I was going to hike up the Cowles Mountain with my mom and I got this crazy idea. I said, I'm going to make this a really good workout for me. And I found an old backpack, got to the hill and I picked up a great big stone and I put it in the backpack and I strapped it on my back and off we went. Well, my mom saw this as a challenge. She was in pretty good shape. She was in her mid-50s. I was in my mid-20s. But she hiked fast because she was out to prove that there was no way I was going to be able to keep up with her carrying this big, stupid rock around. And she was right. And it wasn't long until I had to admit defeat and stopped and wait, I got to get rid of this thing. What a difference it made when I laid aside that weight And what a powerful image God gives us to help us see the awfulness of sin in our lives, the the, the desperate need we have to deal with it in our lives, the danger of not doing so. Uh, Christian, are you mortifying the flesh? Are you seeking to put to death in you that which is earthly? This racing metaphor, I think, uh, just reminds us of how critical it is that we do so. Sin is like this, this massive weight that weighs us down and it clings to us. It, it trips you up. It hinders you from running the race that God has marked out for you. You and I likely don't face the, the, uh, the, the, the same temptation that these Christians were facing. We didn't grow up as Jews and, you know, tied to the synagogue with our entire social network being connected to that. And suddenly we're in danger of losing all of that. But of course, more generally, this is, this is instructive for us as we think about any sin to which we find ourselves drawn and tempted, all of which the Lord calls us to forsake. We do well to think about how we can identify sin in our lives. What is sin? 
And we have that wonderful catechism definition. What is sin? Sin is any want of conformity unto or transgression of the law of God, any failure, any lack of conformity to God's law, or any transgressing of God's law. That's sin. Well, I suppose it we can build on that. Another helpful way of maybe defining sin or, or identifying sin in our lives is simply saying this, sin is anything which is hindering you from running this race of faith. Obviously, that would clear out or that would, that would, uh, that would rule out anything that would be a clear a transgression of God's law. We think of the clear command that the believers had not to forsake the assembly, that was a law that we see, or a commandment uh, spoken of even earlier in the text. Some of the, the believers had stopped gathering with the church, and so they were commanded to be not to be forsaking the assembly, not neglecting to meet together, chapter 10, verse 25. So you can look at your life, anything you, in your life, and you can ask yourself, the question, ask yourself the question before the Lord, is this helping, is this helping me in my race? Is this helping me in my walk with Christ? And if the answer is no, it's not, well, then why would you keep it? Why would you cling to it, right? It'd be like, like holding that big stone while trying to, 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 to hike up a mountain. The Lord is saying, get rid of it. Get rid of it. Sin is so deceitful. It, it deceives us. It, it, it says, I'll make you happy. You know, fix your eyes on me rather than on Christ. I will bring you joy like Christ never could. There may be things in your life, as you think about your own life at the end of the year, things in your life that, that perhaps are not inherently sinful things, but they've become sinful for you because they're causing you, that they're diverting your eyes away from Christ, hindering your progress as you walk with him this year. It's interesting for these, these Hebrew Christians, uh, the, 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 the temptation was actually to be clinging to the old covenant administration and its, its ordinances, right? The, 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 even the temple, there's a lot in there about the temple and the sacrifices and so forth. Surely those seemed like good things, Right. Well, interestingly, of course, the purpose of those things was to lead the covenant people to Christ. And here, these very things that were intended to lead them to Christ were now leading them away from Christ. God was about to do a powerful work of destruction, wasn't he? The temple would be destroyed. Uh, and I, I, the Lord calls us this morning when we see the sin in our lives to do a powerful destroying work, get rid of it destroy it, put it to death, put to death anything drawing you away from your walk with Christ. By God's grace, do that in your life, dear brothers and sisters. Anything, anything that's, that, that's, that's uh, obstructing your walk with the Lord, rid yourselves of that and, and run the race unhindered. But then lastly, Last point this morning, we're to run, not only are we to be motivated to run and we're to run unhindered, but we're to run with endurance. The last part of the verse, verse one, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. The word endurance was translated patience in the old, uh, the King James Version. It's a call to persevere 
It's not like, uh, you know, just continuing with things are easy. This is not like being on a bicycle and coasting a long way downhill. No, this is, this is, this is hard going. This is, this is a call to persevere through suffering, through trials. But by God's grace, there's an amazing thing that happens in the life of the believer. Gerhardus Voss described this so well in a very well-known sermon which he preached in Princeton Chapel way back in 1902. And I'm going to quote and or paraphrase much of what you hear in this last section. But he described the way that, that, that the believer running in this race, striving after the prize, is exposed to much hardship. But not only does the hardship not stop him, not impede his progress, it actually positively assists him in reaching the goal. The hardship becomes the very means of helping the believer onward through the development of patience or endurance. That same word endurance is used by the Apostle Peter, Second Peter chapter 1, verse 6, where it's translated steadfastness in the ESV. Here we see that, that this, this endurance is a Christian virtue, which we are called to cultivate in our lives. We are to make every effort to supplement our faith with virtue, virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness or endurance. Well, by, by God's grace, God's sanctifying grace, Trials are actually designed to accomplish that, to work endurance in us. And I think Voss helpfully talks about why that is, how, how it is that faith works. There, there, is a, there is this link, there is a connection between our enduring and our heavenly reward. It's not that we, not that we earn our way into heaven, not that we earn our heavenly reward by our Endurance, Boss writes, no amount of patience displayed by us in our earthly trials and afflictions can give us the least semblance of a claim upon the glory that awaits us at the end. I mean, only Christ is the one who, by his endurance, merited his merited uh, the, the reward, the joy that was set before him. That was the proper reward of his running his race, enduring the cross. And so Christ earned his reward. Christ has earned that reward for us, and we praise God for that. What a wonderful truth. There's a good New Year's resolution for you for the, for the new year. Think much upon that. Think much upon your Savior's perfect obedience for you. Trust Jesus. Rest in his finished work. And yet, by the grace of Christ, there's this, there's this inseparable connection, indeed, between that glory, that future glory, and our present enduring. It is as we look to our future heavenly glory that we receive all of the power that we need to endure. It's, a, it's the powers of the very age to come which are at work in us, enabling us to run the race, enabling us to endure. It's not that, you know, God is, is holding forth heaven as kind of a motivating prospect, but now he's saying, go, run, do it on your own power, right? It's not like that at all. It rem- reminds me of uh, when I did run cross country, and forgive me for you 
two illustrations in one sermon, but I remembered this. I have to tell this story. There I was running a race, and my sister was there, only 10 or 11 years old, there with my parents. I was 17 years old, senior in high school, came around the turn, and, and there she was. And, you know, from my perspective, I was, I was giving it all I could, you know, pouring everything I had just to stay in the race. Well, from her perspective, I wasn't running quite as fast as I could have been running. And she noted, noted, you know, a couple of runners ahead of me, 10 or 20, uh, 10 or 20 yards. And as I came by her, she yelled out, Dave, come on, hurry up, just pass those guys. I remember thinking to myself, how about if we trade places and you try doing this and I'll yell at you? How about that? Just to set the record straight, my sister's been a wonderful source of encouragement all throughout my life. One weak moment, right? But isn't it wonderful to think or to remember that we have a God who's not, you know, up there yelling at us, hurry up, come on, run the race while doing nothing to help us. No, that the very Savior who has called us heavenward is, is with us. He is in us. We're united to him by faith. As we look to him, we receive from him his joy, his glory, his power at work in us to help us run. It's faith, faith, Hebrews 11 teaches us. Faith is what enabled the saints of old to do all that God called them to do. Faith is what kept them running. Faith is what enabled them to endure. They lived their lives looking to heaven And those future glories they were seeking were at work in them as they ran the race. Brothers and sisters, if you think about the new year, here's a good resolution. Think much about heaven. Meditate on those those future glories. Live your lives thinking much, meditating upon heaven with all of the glories to which God is calling you. Cultivate in your life heavenly mindedness, not to the end that you, you know, sit on your hands and do nothing, but no true, godly, heavenly mindedness, which empowers you, yes, to lay aside your sin and to run the race of faith. As, as Voss put it, quote, if the Christian patiently endures, it is because he sees the invisible because there is a counter power, a counter principle at work in his life, which more than offsets by the joy it creates, the pain of tribulation. This is not else but the power of the spiritual heavenly world itself to which through faith he has access. Isn't that beautiful? God, God gives us this Using Vossian language here, but this, this, this constant access to heaven itself, to God Himself. I mean, I think another simple way of putting it is that this is, this is Christ in you, the hope of glory, living in that hope. I mean, if, if it was true for the saints of old, how much more is it true for you and for me? We are those upon whom the end of the age has come. We do well to think much on that as we end another year and begin a new one. Christ has entered into that heavenly joy which was set before him. And we are there united with him, seated in the heavenly places in Christ. And yes, we enjoy a, a constant vital connection to heaven. The very gifts 
and powers of the world to come. They descend into our present experience. They provide an unceasing stream of new spiritual power that flows to our frame. That's power. That's grace. Brothers and sisters, all the grace, all the power that you need to endure is supplied so abundantly to you. Are you motivated? Run the race. Throw off any sin hindering you from doing so and run the race. Endure. Finish the race that God has marked out for you. May God give us grace to do that in the new year and all of our days. Let's pray together. Lord, help us to do that. We uh, confess this morning that as we do, it is only by your grace, all of grace. And so, Father, would you this day pour out your grace upon your people. Strengthen us, O Lord, by your Spirit and enable us indeed to run that race that you have marked for us. Help us to press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call by which you have called us heavenward in Christ Jesus. Hear us, O Lord, for we ask for this in his name. Amen.